This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramia. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on air community, and everyone's invited. Well, here we are, folks, landing in the studio again. The two of us in Toronto. Kelly McDonald here, and off to my right. In studio today, because it's uh, Toronto AMI party time. Everything different. That's why a different little intro. Oh, I see. I mean, you're in here often. I'm not, so We're I got to get used our chemistry, to. I guess. Yeah, mm. yeah, maybe. Um, uh, are you all filled up? You had a lot of food at the party. Oh my gosh, way too filled up. I really should have eaten uh, better because I should have known. Notes. Remember the other day, there was a reason that I played that clip talking about being good to yourself. Did you eat before the party? No. I knew that answer. Like at home? Yeah. No, but you did, didn't you, on the train over here? Well, I ate a Uh, tiny uh, bit. I ate uh, some granola. Oh. And yogurt. That's pretty healthy. Even though the uh, eggs and stuff was offered. No, 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 no. Not going to do that. Mm -hmm. I just had a bit of yogurt. uh, And I had actually yogurt earlier before I left London to come out here uh-huh. and uh, fruit. So uh, I'm taking care, but I was trying to do the whole thing, eat, but not save up. Because as we talked about on the show the other day, you're not supposed to be doing that. To be responsible for the holidays, you're not supposed to do that stuff. Save up? Yeah, you don't save up holding, not going to oh, right, eat right. so that I have so much hunger. Yeah, you know, so I have, I'm just so eat hungry. when you're hungry. Yeah, but the problem and, being blind is... yeah. If anyone says, hey, do you want this? Do you want that? You have no idea how big it is, how small it is. Oh, you don't ask? Well, I don't know how really people will take the, like, I don't know. Maybe I, don't know. Maybe I, I should. I usually wait for the words, very tiny. And then I fill my plate with very tiny things. It ends up being three meals anyway. Yeah, see, yeah. I find people don't say that if they're helping me because I don't think they want to be insulting to the food and sound judgmental. Huh, what? this is tiny. You need seven of these. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's I don't right. know if I'd like that either. <laughs> it's a let's, predicament. Let's take a look, folks, at what we've got coming up on the program for you today. A few days ago, an escaped kangaroo punched a police officer in the face. Mark Phoenix, he'll be here today to give us the scrappy details on the buzz. Also, we can now get a hold of Braille postcards, Braille Christmas cards, Braille holiday cards, and Vic Pereira, our community reporter in Winnipeg, Manitoba, is going to tell us more. And as we wind up the year, financial advisor Ryan Chin reflects on why we need to keep our finances in check and why we should have professional advice to deal with our money. We'll deal with that conversation with him in hour two of the program. So the city of Detroit is on track to record the fewest homicides in six decades. Officials say the city of Detroit will likely record its fewest yearly homicides since 1966. Detroit recorded 228 homicides through November 30th. That's an 18% decrease over the same period last year. There's also been a 36% drop in carjackings and a 13% decrease in non-fatal shootings. Officials credit a partnership created in 2021 between the city of Detroit and Wayne County and the state that improves coordination amongst agencies and courts. A joint Fugitive Apprehension Unit between the city and the sheriff's office caught nearly 1,000 people wanted on outstanding felony warrants. A backlog of felony gun cases was drastically cut, officer hiring was up, and pay across departments was improved. I'm Lisa Dwyer. So, being a Londoner, 
Detroit always factor in our news. Growing up, that's all I heard about. I heard about, you know, students are being asked to not take their guns to school. And of course, being in little old London, Ontario, this was a, <gasps> wow. And you heard a lot about the history of what went on in Detroit from the riots on Rumya. And it made it seem like this, and I've been to Detroit a couple of times, gone mm -hmm. to baseball games and so on there. Um, and I certainly did not wish to always paint Detroit because it was my closest American city. It was the city that I enjoyed my Detroit Lions and Detroit Pistons when I was growing up. So you never wanted to like kind of, ugh, it's this terrible, violent place. Uh, but even when I hear the number, ah, it's reduced down to 200 and uh, what? Yeah, it's still a big number, right? It yeah, feels, and me. I guess... It's because it's targeted and not just because you were paying attention to the actual numbers, the actual reputation of Detroit and, and uh, violence or neighborhoods, but it's built itself a reputation on TV and entertainment. You know, like a lot of the kind of reaction that I have to Detroit is what you've already, what you feel like you should know because this was set in Detroit and that was set in Detroit and these kind of violent uh, crimes are so well known around Detroit. But I, I think that that's very unfair, right? It's just it kind is. of pulling at the threads of actual mm, criminal activity or challenges that different places have going on and whether it be true or not, but for us to think like stereotypically it makes sense of Detroit. Well, That's and I think fair. that people have to also take in context of, you know, some places are heavier on different types of crimes, right? And Detroit, due to the nature of it for the years, had the violence. But we forget that it's a, a, a type of city where there was a lot of that connection to crime. Sure. It's a border yeah. city and, yeah, a, that's and fair. a big city, right? And there was a lot during the 60s at the with the movement, the race riots and so on. So I, I always feel bad pegging it because you got the, the uh, being the motor city. It was built kind of with uh, uh, with the city of Paris in mind, the way they kind of constructed it, so um, people can see some of those similarities, I guess, if that's what I hear. But I also know that they also buried a lot of Detroit. They tore mm -hmm. a lot of places down as people left it. So it's a smaller place than what it used to be. You just feel kind of sorry for any place when you're, you're painting it that way because you know every city, every town has its spirit, its feeling. And they have that right to be that mm. thriving metropolis that everyone wants to be, wanting people to come to it. And, and I know Detroit has a lot of fun things in the area. Um, it is really, really great. So I, I hear this stuff. I have to say fedoras off to them because, you know, we hear huge numbers in certain places in the States, 700, 800 homicides. Mm. So, guys, you're doing something right. Coming up on our program today as we step aside for a moment, how can Canadians cut prices during their holidays? All those costs, but particularly regarding our holiday dinner. Grant Hardy's in town. He's got the answers. Let's talk about it with him after this. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. back spending your Wednesday with you. Thank you for being with us wherever you are watching us on AMI-tv throughout Canada and listening in on AMI-audio around the world. So when I'm not in here and you're here, mm -hmm. you have more space, obviously. You're set up in a different way here at the table. Does it throw you off if, if somebody's in here like myself or if when Susan pops in? Not really. Maybe just what the shot is like if I'm just fiddling or, you know, things like that. Like, if I get very expansive with my hands, is it going to end up in your shot? 
Ow! Or yeah, in exactly. my teeth. Or in your face, yeah. yeah. But luckily for you, I don't do that. I don't talk with my hands. So. Uh, my father. Grow, grew up in Montreal. He used to all the time. Everything, and then I'd start imitating, and I'd like knowing people. What are you doing? Oh, uh, uh, I thought that's what I was supposed to talk like. <laughs> exactly. It was its own. I, I'm, I'm waving. It's, it's part of your uh, theater growing up. Uh, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Or I'm trying to kill flies. Yeah, but but it's December. Oh, okay. Oh, no. All right. Folks, uh, Grant Hardy, as mentioned before the break, is in town. He's got headlines for us. It's Wednesday. Let's bring him in. Hey, I'm Grant Hardy, and welcome to the Headlines segment. I tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech. I have it all right here on Kelly and Ramia. Good day, Mr. Hardy. You're set up. Are you comfortable there? Good day. I'm comfortable. I'm cozy. As you said, I am in town literally live from the accessible media studios. Ah. He's right behind us. Yeah, he's behind us. Our back, well, our yeah. back is semi-turned to him, so yeah. we're being quite rude if we sit like this. So yeah. Forget Grant. Yeah, I wonder, like, if I yell loud enough, well, can you hear me through the walls? Although they maybe. might Excuse me, me, sir. Off. On your way they, out, they just might... knock on the wall, and maybe we'll yeah, hear that. Yeah, that's what I'm going to yeah. do. I, I'm I'm, uh, sir, I'm sorry. Here. We're not talking a, quote, studio, unquote. These, <laughs> these have soundproofing. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I'm lying. I mean, I mean, it'd be nice if there was a, a door. Well, it'd be nice if there was a door to your left. That kind of kills soundproof. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> wow. They, they might cut my air. <laughs> so that's what they'll do if, they, if you say the wrong thing in there. They'll just yeah, turn no, the air off. No, but the party's off. still going on. I think we're safe. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. true. Nobody's watching, and if they are, they're sitting in front of the TV laughing. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. guys. Where are we starting, sir? Yeah, speaking of parties, it's obviously the holiday time coming up, and a lot of people are going to be having their turkey, their uh, veggies, their Christmas, their holiday dinners, Christmas, whatever it is you celebrate. Uh, but it's been a really tough year, obviously, financially for many people, both in terms of just the cost of living and the cost, uh, particularly of food. Uh, turkey has gone up. Uh, 5%. Uh, with the cost of potatoes up 6.6%, carrots up 13%, uh, we could go on. So the, the cost of putting together a holiday meal for four to six people is now over $100, uh, which, again, could be really significant for people. Uh, so I did find some tips, a uh, little bit of tips on cutting back on some of those costs, hopefully without cutting back on the merriment. Uh, well, apparently... Uh, if you are serving red meat, uh, switching to poultry is a good idea. If you're serving turkey, switching to ham could be a little bit uh, more cost effective. Another method is hosting a potluck where everybody brings something and contributes uh, could help a little bit with the social aspect as well. And just being really mindful of not go going overboard in terms of portion sizes, because that excess food that people eat is a huge waste of money, literally, you know, throwing uh, money in the trash but definitely the potluck they say and also just going to when you go to the store uh, they say to really make a list uh, and stick to it and try not to go too much overboard or beyond the list what do you guys think how are your holiday 
meal plans looking so far? Mm. Yeah, the potluck stuff you already know, right? I'm so uh, down for that idea. And, like, lately, I've been doing a lot more with the neighbors. Like, we have a neighborhood kind of clique that gets together during Thanksgiving and, uh, I guess, during the holidays as well. So that's already got potluck written all over it because nobody, nobody is taking care of the meal on their own. It's so, just not so happening. how come, Ram? Like is that, that just the way you guys do it? Yeah. Or do you think that for some of the people, it's just that device now to have a really nice meal, be with people, it's and not like, afford all that on their own? Well, not just the affordability, but the, the vibe. The way you like to hang out. Like, yeah, you know how you can think of Christmas dinner as this big formal thing where there's this giant turkey or whatever main dish, and then there's father, all these sides. Father, and, cut the, cut the yeah. roast, will you, father? Exactly. Like, Carpet. it's too formal. We don't do it that way at all, and even with Friendsgiving and, and all of these Galentine's Day and such, we don't do it that way. We're just kind of like almost like a cocktail hour, uh, you know, but it's yeah. it's just snacks and food and everybody bring whatever. And we do a bit of prepping, so not everyone's bringing savory or everyone's bringing sweets, but it is much more like chill. And I think the, the potluck idea just falls into that perfectly. Hmm. No, it does. Absolutely. And that that's something that's really significant for, for me, especially as someone who has some eating eating issues, but mm -hmm. I know I'm not, you know, the only one is I like to think that beyond the cost, cost cutting measure, we're getting past the, the days of like, you know, we're going to like serve you a big plate of food. Yeah. You kind of have to kind of get through everything just to be polite. This is more of a like, listen, let's mill around, let's socialize, yeah. get what you want. You can always just be like, oh, I might, you know, go back and get you know, your, your dish later kind of thing. And it takes a really, really huge burden off of the host exactly. too, while giving you the opportunity to get to, get some, to know some new people and potentially their cooking. So Seems I, like I do know a lot of people who really look for the turkey, the stuffing, the same meal, and not necessarily, I know a lot of people who want to put that meal on, who have families that they get together and that's what they, they still do. And I think when we look at this kind of item, this is where we're really talking to those folks. Now, I, I my family, we don't do that too often because my, both my parents are gone and it just doesn't seem to be the way. It's more spread, but I do know a lot of people who even individually themselves, they want to get invited. They want that old traditional traditional yeah, dinner, right? It. Yeah, and it's interesting because they may be an individual and they'll they may have parts of the family that they can go and do it. But I do wonder how much tradition has been changed. Like Ramya, like yourselves, it's it's you have your tradition of doing it. You you and your friends but it's and traditions so on. that we built now. Yeah, but it's I wonder if this was kind of how much more we're going to see, especially since the pandemic. Oh, I know yeah. some people are afraid a bit unless they have that small bunch that they trust and everything like that, or they're around all the time. So they don't worry so much about getting sick because they, they, they're around these people and they're within their bubble, if you want to call mm -hmm. it, go back to that old term. But I, I do kind of, and I feel out of touch because I have no idea how many people more lean towards the um, social thing in the sense of everybody bringing the parties. I know that's what everybody does now. You go to a party, you yeah, bring something, style, and everybody, everybody does brings it. something, yeah. just kind of hang out. Right? Yeah, I always see that in invitations to functions where somebody says, you know, guys, bring bring your own drinks. And if you'd like to bring something, great, but oh, we will have a few I things. I will say the first time I ever hosted, like just a same thing again, by the way, casual, friends over, we are like, yeah, let's do something for the holidays. I said, okay, I'll offer my place. But the first time I ever put out the memo, you know, bring your own booze or bring your own drinks, it was the most 
awkward thing to sit with because really? yeah uh, because you're see, used to I've the heard that for years I know now. but now. for me it wasn't like that no, like my growing up if you either. threw a party exactly home, right? yeah. what you th when you throw a party you're the one supplying so I think there is a point to just remind people that this kind of stuff is okay now it's becoming more normalized grant because Absolutely. yeah because not everyone is there really like for some of us we're just still thinking like if you're hosting it's your responsibility you do it all yeah. Grant, how does your family, but, but, I know you have a, a smaller family, yeah, but do you guys a, do the gathering like where yeah. mom or whoever makes it? We have a pretty small family, so we don't do really a big uh, holiday feast, uh, but just try and get a, you know, a little bit of a turkey from like a turkey shop and, mm. you know, turkey place. And uh, yeah. and I'm also a very picky eater, so that kind of cuts down the, the appetite by at least one person but yeah just all about uh dismantling some of these uh rules of etiquette that yeah my sister noticed. loves it the old way she if she she doesn't do <laughs> function she hasn't for a couple it of years but she loves having uh, the gang over and again yes people yeah. do bring stuff like especially if uh, you know we have More an like actual gifts. large one. well no mainly food for my family it's all food uh. <laughs> you know somebody cooks up a, a prime rib or something like that and brings it yeah. right so they they do but traditionally in her mind it's the turkey stuffing, all that comes from Central Base, yep. her place. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, folks, I wanted to get to this really quickly. It also has to do with uh, money. And this is a really cool one in Vancouver. So this is a, a pilot project to better treat people uh, in uh, BC uh, who are addicted to drugs, uh, specifically uh, opioids. Opi opioids uh they actually have an anonymous donor who don donated five hundred thousand dollars for this program uh and what they're actually going to do is pay people to go through drug treatment uh that sounds depending upon your perspective either just very simple and obvious or potentially sort of uh, over the top uh but essentially uh what's been happening is people are talking about you know do we do we force you know people to go through treatment but that kind of thing can actually be highly problematic and highly un unconstitutional really mm -hmm. and just difficult to keep people uh, in so what they're planning on doing is paying people at least twenty dollars a day which sounds very small but a lot of these folks may be on income assistance, could give them some extra money, you know, to purchase presents for their, their family or some additional food or whatever else they uh, want. And people are saying that if you have external resources, especially more money, it can be quite a lot easier to get through drug treatment. Uh, so they're talking about somebody specifically, for example, who used to work in uh, air ambulances and he developed chronic pain and was prescribed opioids and then eventually just got cut off yeah. and uh, ended up uh, taking drugs from the street. Uh, and he was able to use some some resources to get through the drug treatment himself, but it's not always that easy for people. So they're actually doing something that has not been done to the scale in North America. And they're hoping that if it is successful, it could actually inspire a new era of, dare I say, less of the stick and more of the carrot approach to drug treatment. What do you guys think? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, 
I, we've said this on the show, talking about it just not working the old way. Let's throw people in jail. Let's yeah. It's a crime, black and white. It, uh, it, we know things aren't working, and you're not stopping people from doing stuff. Um, people do need to survive, whether you have a habit uh, uh, or not. Or and, and a lot of people. I mean, I don't want to say it's because we're finding so many people who are now addicted because they're taking something for pain or whatever. There are people who are out and out. Just life has just been that way for them, and. They're addicted, and some of them want to be able to do something. Some of them will enjoy, or I won't say enjoy, but don't have that strength to pull off. So I do think, unfortunately, the carrot is the way to go on the sense of, and I know for those who say, oh, get rid of it. Yeah, okay, I get that. You know, um, yeah, but, but not, I think it's, I it's think just not worked. It's never worked. We've, we've proven over what? Like Dec a thousand centuries. years, yeah. maybe longer, centuries. that the, the war on drugs is not the correct approach yeah. and we we've we've it's uh, because there's no like natural law that like these drugs are good these drugs are bad it's something that we've just kind of mm. constructed through society so i think really that that stick but we is, recognize is just, that all addictions are a problem for some and not right? just a problem like we just don't know enough yet we don't know enough on how to to deal with the uh crises the crises i guess of drugs we also don't know enough about addiction like That's there's right. still so much disagreement on what addiction actually is is it a disease is it controllable mm -hmm. are we doing enough for it we all then by by circumstance of all of these other things we don't know how to deal our system is very very broken and there is just not uh, like a one-size-fits-all approach and just because you and I hate it doesn't mean that, um, you know, we're doing a good job with that, uh, like, mentality of it, right? So uh, clearly it, it can't be just a black or white solution, Grant. Even if the long-term goal is to get more people off drugs, to make people um, feel more safe uh, without the use of drugs, it, that, that solution isn't happening overnight. Yeah, needs to be custom tailored to every participant, and that that's what they're looking and to do. And every addiction, mm -hmm. guys, like it's just that's the way it is, and we can't because each individual person, each every individual circumstances uh, is different. Grant, wonderful to see you today again, two weeks in a row. Let's not make a habit of this, sir. It's costly <laughs> got, for the company. You've got a wonderful show coming up, guys. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Thanks. Grant. Appreciate it. Grant Hardy joining us from over there. Uh, that's where he is on the other side of the wall. And uh, we, of course, do headlines with him on Mondays and Wednesdays on the program. Ahead next, there are more than a dozen inductees uh, to this year's Canadian Walk of Fame. Corinne Van Dusen is going to tell us about some notable stars when we join her in a moment for our entertainment report. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. This Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific. This week, Joita speaks to Rod Machalko about his book, Letters with Smokey, discussing blindness and what it can reveal around the relationship between humans and animals. That's The Pulse this Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on AMI-audio and available on your favorite podcast platform and over on YouTube. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. And it's time for our bi-weekly entertainment update. Let's see what's in store with Corinne Van Dusen. 
Hi, I'm Corinne Van Dusen. Join me as we dive into the latest entertainment stories from music, television, and movies here with Kelly and Ramya. Corinne, as usual, we don't know what we do without you because you keep us posted on all the juicy entertainment with the celebs and the influencers and everything else that's going on. Shall we start with the uh, Canada Walk of Fame? Because there were a couple inductees that we want to talk about, and there was more than a couple inductees altogether. So a punk icon, political satirist, and a uh, hockey star were some of these famous Canadians to mm -hmm. get a star on the Walk of Fame. There was more than a dozen inductees. So who were some of the most notable? Yes, the pop icon, punk icon, would be mm. Avril Lavigne. Nice. Uh, so she was inducted by George Stropolopoulos. If you uh, are a Toronto radio listener, much music viewer from the past, you will recognize him as someone who uh, was very present also when Avril was coming up. So mm -hmm. him in introducing her, presenting her, I thought was very apt. So she's, this, as we know, she's a singer-songwriter, complicated skater boy, girlfriend, Behind song after song after song. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, she said it's especially meaningful to receive the honor for the route she set down in Canada before she helped usher in an era of female-driven pop-punk music in the early uh, aughts, so the early 2000s. So we can thank her for Olivia Rodrigo and, yeah. and such as that, which is exciting. She's from uh, Napanee, Ontario. Um, so she started there and she sang when she was very young with Shania Twain. So a very recognizable name mm -hmm. uh, being one of the people there. The political satirist, none other than Rick Mercer. He talked about hosting the Mercer Report at the CBC building and mentioned that he would walk along part of the Walk of Fame and say hello to certain people who had stars there. Uh, so it would be pointed out on which stars he was walking by and he would, you know, say hello and now he's there so he can, you know, visit himself. Wow. <laughs> he could stop and, and talk to himself. Hey, Rick, yes. how's it going? And the hockey superstar is Connor McDavid. Not mm. sure if you oh. expected me to say that name. And he, too, was a little surprised to receive his Walk of Fame star so early in his playing career. But yes. said it was an honor to be recognized and represent Canada regardless. I would say one of the most recognizable Canadian hockey names to those even who don't, who aren't huge hockey fans would most likely know who Connor McDavid is. Yeah. It's interesting because that's my thing. I don't know what the ruling is and how long or what you do, because really, if someone's making their impact earlier in life, do you wait and say, well, let's see how many years before they're deserving of it? Or are we really after just recognizing these people? And I, I, I don't think there is that time. I think it's the best time is, hey, the, things are going great for this person and they are doing things deservably of the recognition so very interesting that he would feel the same or kind of have the same query uh who hosted this none other than the property brothers drew and jonathan <laughs> nice. scott mm -hmm. so they're always fun to, to have on tv also juno award-winning singer deborah cox was a host nice uh not only people were recognized this year, but one iconic TV series we call Canadian was uh, recognized as well. Tell us more. Yep, the Degrassi franchise, oh. all the way back to 1979 when it was called Degrassi Street, wow. and then it became Degrassi Junior High, and then it became Degrassi High, and then it became Degrassi Next Generation. <laughs> uh, so the, the entire franchise is being um, recognized as 
Degrassi and a lot of people uh, reunited. There was there was stars there. You can watch actually the Walk of Fame um, broadcast airs on December 16th on CTV. So you'll see which alumni from all of the Degrassi shows showed up for that honor. My goodness, 79. Is that mm-hmm. a thing, by the way, Corinne? Like, have they done this in the past where they recognize more than people? See, I'm not sure. I was looking into that, and mm. I really couldn't find anything. I'm not surprised. Degrassi is a Canadian. It's oh, yeah, gosh. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> so, because so, I think they did Beachcombers, didn't they? I thought Beachcombers I got inducted, but wow. That's amazing to me when you think about it, and I always grin, Degrassi, next generation. Ah, oh, it's up there with Star Trek. Okay, next generation. <laughs> um, Corinne, we want to drift over to Merriam-Webster and Oxford University, a press release uh, that was out. Word of the year we're talking here. What, yep, uh, so. what, what are, like, I'm kind of curious, were the words of the year the same for both? They were not. Oh. So they come out at the same time. The, the both of the words appear on each other's lists. So right. at, like the Oxford's one appears on the Merriam-Webster one. Um, the Merriam-Webster one does not appear on the Oxford one. Sorry, I got that mixed up. Mm. Uh, I'll just switch that around. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so Merriam-Webster's uh, top word is authentic. And Oxford University is Riz. Now, do either yeah, of you know what Riz, Riz We already Oh, we went over this <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> Thank you. We about it a lot. Uh-huh. The, the younger okay, folks. Okay, moving on then. The younger folks in the Charisma. That's yeah. what it was. We had to get Part. the Gen Zs to yeah, clarify to sort it and sort it out. It took several breaks of the show for me to get on board. But anyway, what are your thoughts? Authentic? <laughs> I don't have anything to say about authentic. Are we using it because it's popular now? Like, is that why it's... Well, the difference in choosing the words is Oxford University Press looks at all the words that were popular, Uh and then they have a panel of experts at the publisher choose them, whereas Merriam-Webster looks at what was most looked up, what people were looking up the most Uh, uh, to see what was happening. They don't delve into the reasons why people look it up because they, you don't look up a dictionary thing and say, I was looking it up because of that. So uh, they said they chase data uh, and look at spikes and world events to correlate it. But interesting enough, this time around, there's no particular huge boost at any given time, or in, but there was consistency to the increased interest in authentic. So like authentic cuisine, being um... authentic, authenticity. So a lot more people were looking that up. So that's why it's their word of the year. An authentic interest, an authentic interest in authentic. In authenticity. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like there's a slight, you know, mental health angle as well. So that's nice. Sounds good. It covers a broad range of things. So Mm. no wonder a lot of people were looking it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Runner upwards. Do you have any idea what the runner upwards? Um, Well, as we know, Riz was Oxford's top. And then Swifty. Which is an enthusiastic fan of Taylor Swift. Mm. Check. Um, <laughs> there was Situationship, which yes. is an informal romantic relationship. So, yeah, as they would say on Friends, they're not putting labels on anything. Mm. Um, and Prompt, which is an instruction given to an artificial intelligence program. And then Merriam Webster, Riz, was on there too, but they also had Doppelganger, oh. which is defined as double or an alter ego or a ghostly counterpart. And they say a lot of people looked it up because Naomi Klein's latest book is called Doppelganger, A Trip Ah, Into the Mirror World. Right. So when a lot of uh, media uh, tends to bring things like dystopian was another one on their list because Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, books, movies, TV. And uh, another one that I saw was deep fake. So (laughs) a lot of people looking up what that is. 
a lot of deep fakes out there to take a look at. So, <laughs> is this a deep fake? Is probably how that word got there. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, last story is about the band Kiss. It's the end of the road for rock band Kiss, but they are playing one final show, right? Where? Yes. So they're going to perform their last show, the end of the road tour at Madison Square Garden in New York on Saturday. And then during the encore, they're going to introduce avatars of the current lineup performing uh, God Gave Rock and Roll to You Too. So they're going to introduce the new, uh, you know, ideation of Kiss as not the actual people, but avatars in their place. Wow. I kind of like that they're going to do that if they're going to go down this road. So why have they decided to end the live shows and send the avatars out? Well, Paul Stanley says the band is bigger than its members, and it's exciting to see Kiss immortalized, so that's why they're doing this, Mm. to give their big personalities even bigger personalities. Uh, Gene Simmons says the avatars mean they can be forever young and forever (laughs) iconic, so they'll take them places that they've never dreamed of before. He also made a, a little joke at Stanley's expense to say that Stanley can jump higher than he's ever done before. <laughs> I heard about that. Wow. Uh, so have you seen, like, have they put out any uh, teasers or leaks of what these avatars will look like or in? No, I believe the first um, time people will see them is at the concert, the encore. So stay I'm if you're so at that curious. Madison Square Garden show. Stay for the encore. Wow, I wonder how many people will try to cra- grab some phone pictures or if they're gonna oh, do what they can to make sure of that because that'll be absolutely wild. And mm-hmm. hey, who wouldn't want that leak though? Because if people are so blown away by it, then you start yeah. rolling out the tickets for the next tour of the Avatar. Clearly, and by yep. the next um, entertainment thing, we'll we'll have more details. Oh yeah, they'll be the scheduled graphics. already, and you'll have your. T- <laughs> Because I don't know what Avatar means. Like, does is it kind of like the hologram situation that we saw with Prince and that halftime show, or is it more of a cartoon, uh, you know, theater, not theater, like movie concert, Animated like we've been doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Where you could just go to a theater and everybody watches a concert together, that kind of thing. Um, th- this is one of the bands where all the members are still alive, and then they're still sending avatars out for them. So. Would you have any other bands that you would see in this form if you're down with the Avatar idea? Yes, I am. I think it can, uh, more people can see concerts that way. And if the Avatars are done really well, like, you know, you're still going to see a pretty good concert. And the sound's probably going to be, like, could be better than Mm -hmm. (laughs) other things. So um, I'm thinking that, you know, Taylor Swift and Beyonce have been on tour forever, but we could keep them on tour even longer if they were Avatars and everyone in the world could go see well and and they could go on forever like like a band Mm -hmm. could keep creating music or like they do with writers if a writer passes on and somebody in the family keeps a book series going not family but somebody else picks it up (laughs) the penmanship and continues writing a series for those who really love it you in theory you know this is what could happen for like we still play beatles stuff the most recent beatles release Mm -hmm. yeah that's fair yeah i mean i like the idea like you say corinne and it will get better, but it, it does potentially touch wood on money, of course, always being yeah. the magic thing. It does potentially make it a little more affordable for oh, some people if I'm you're seeing on. them, not the actual mm-hmm. band. Mm-hmm. 
and you can work them. You could do a lot instead of maybe two concerts. You know, when it comes to needing six, it's not as big a deal in the same place. where the, So you could technically make them a little more affordable and place them in different situations than you might now. Who knows? This more idea, smaller places. This idea of everybody watching a concert at the same time, though, like a world mm. concert, that's mm. cool. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Lots of stuff hopefully can be done with this. And then mm -hmm. we can all be Swifties and see Taylor Swift wherever. I'm so down. I'm so down for like a $50 Taylor Swift ticket. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Corinne. <laughs> That's, is that the value put on poor Taylor Swift? Her avatar. Oh, yes. okay. Glad Jeez. you made that clear, Corinne. I was not waiting for you to jump in the car and come down here and after the show say, we need to discuss this silliness. Who's a real Swiftie? Not me. Yeah. I'm a Swiftie, like avatar Swift. Thanks, Corinne. We'll talk to you in two weeks. <laughs> Thank you. Corinne Van Dusen joins us for uh, entertainment every other week. What? You're going to be the first Avatar Swifty out yeah. there rooting for, hey, we need Swifty in a, as an Avatar. Swifta. We yeah. we'll, think, we'll think about how to say it properly. Anyway. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We'll come on. We'll Swift work on that. She'll work on that during the break. You know it, folks. <laughs> Coming up next, a few days ago, an escaped kangaroo punched a police officer right in the face. Uh-uh. Not good. Mark Phoenix, he's going to join us on the bus to give us the scrappy details. What a brawl. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Having lots of great conversations, doing some pondering over the break. Rumya Muth and Kelly McDonald, hosts of Kelly and Rumya. Thank you wherever you are checking things out um, on our program as we're both here in the Toronto studio. So, did you come up with anything uh, regarding? No. It's very distracted. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll give you another break to come okay, up thanks. with some of this stuff as we're working about the avatars and concerts. Okay. So, your one question kind of made me stop and think. Um, like, are they up on stage playing their instruments and everything? Or is it going to be something yeah, else we're going to see them do? projections, right? Well, are they going to be doing other things, just dance, just standing and singing? Like, what do we actually get music, allegedly, of the, them playing the instruments that are there? Like, a, oh. you know, I'm assuming that, that it's going to be a concert. Well, maybe it's all AI generated. Like, that's the thing, right? This better be good. But also, there's so much out there now that we don't know if it's good enough what to I pay would, If for. I could see, that's what I would want to see, yeah. a concert. Well, they mentioned the stuff. jumps and things like that, like very visual yeah. things, but nothing about the instrumentation, nothing about the vocals and the sound yeah. or the projection. Well, hey, they're starting it Saturday night, so I've got to assume they leave the stage and on come the... the, the oh, do you think they'll do like a seamless transition I where think, we don't oh, yeah, know when maybe. they leave and the avatars come? Maybe, or That'd they go sick. off. You know how bands go off, everybody's applauding and they come for the encore, encore which is what yeah. they're supposed to be. Yeah. They'll come out, the, the projections. But or maybe the, we won't be able to tell. No, I, I think that's the goal, that be. you won't be able to tell, but people have spilled the beans enough that you'll know. Anyway, this guy might have some idea. He's probably mm. read up on He knows all these things. Filling in for Bill Shackleton. Mark Phoenix joins us now for the buzz all the way from Newfoundland. No pressure. A any thoughts on any of this stuff, uh, Mark? Do you know about this stuff, the avatars for Kiss? I can't hear you. Can't. Hello, one, Hi. two, three. Yep. Hi, I'm finally here. Awesome. Um, my understanding is what they're actually going to do is have the members of KISS inhabit the bodies of younger performers using the technology documented in the James Cameron film Avatar. Oh, right. Oh. Very slick. Wow. 
Wow. What? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, she she hasn't seen the film. Mind. Yeah. Yes. Technically, uh, neither have I. No, uh, me, neither. me neither. Me neither. So it doesn't, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know anything about anything. But that was very convincing, though. It uh -huh. was. He did really well. You and so did I it. with my, yeah, all right. Yeah, I'm going back to, I'm going back to Prince Avatar. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, what did we decide? Did we decide Fire with Phoenix? Fiery Stories with Mark Phoenix? And, Ooh. And Dave, uh, Greg did it. Not Greg. Dave. Dave Brown. Yeah. He's a fire with Phoenix. <laughs> he was, uh, he's been thinking of new ways of tweaking the name every day. So hmm. I'm just bringing those I to like the table. I, I think um, when you get on those bad days, it's Fury with Phoenix. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when I really get Fables with Fire. Or the Phoenix up, Fury. The yeah. Phoenix yeah, Fury. Go. Oh, yeah. Phoenix Fables. Mm. Yeah. Phoenix on Fire. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, let's start with a. I don't know if you'd call it a fiery story necessarily, but, you know, a couple of police were on patrol and a hockey match broke out. Uh, this is from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, where a kangaroo that was on the loose east of Toronto since last week was found and captured early Monday and is temporarily being hosted at the Oshawa Zoo as it recovers, according to Durham Region Police. Staff Sergeant Chris Boileau said that officers on patrol spotted the missing marsupial around 3 a.m. on a rural property in North Oshawa and were able to keep eyes on it for nearly four hours. How's that for a patrol? Mm -hmm. In the meantime, the pair were able to get in touch with the kangaroo's handlers, and on their advice, quote, they actually just grabbed it by the tail, what? the staff sergeant said. No. Yeah. Whose advice the, was that? That was apparently from the kangaroo handlers, which is not a good sign. Yeah, well, that's as bad um, as the advice, grab a tiger by the tail. Seriously? Yeah. The female kangaroo punched one of the officers in the face during the apprehension. Uh, police shook. later tried to clarify the officer had been struck, not necessarily punched by the kangaroo. I'm not sure what really? difference that makes. No, me neither. Yeah. Did, All I think about they, is, is uh, Hopperoo on the Flintstones. Now, those were certainly punches. <laughs> Yeah, they did release body cam footage of the interaction, so you can judge for yourself <laughs> yeah. if you would like. Uh, the kangaroo initially escaped during a transport to a zoo in Quebec. It simply jumped over its handlers while they were at a rest stop oh. um, a and escaped last Thursday. Oops. So uh, the kangaroo was being transported with her uh, adult offspring. Uh, they tried to search for the kangaroo, who's about four years old, but it was dark. But, you know, kangaroo's been found, is currently being looked after, and uh, presumably will not be facing charges. <laughs> so did the kangaroo get hurt? I'm not sure where in this process the kangaroo got that, They don't seem to be very clear on that. I mean, I'm sure grabbing this poor thing by the tail didn't go over too well it. so yeah. um and I mean, then our weather get... too took its toll on it obviously that's yeah. where the treatment comes because those were cold yeah. and and that's just not the weather it's used to that's fair yeah not in the slightest no uh well some slightly less violent news uh this one from cnn where chess player vaishali ramesh babu followed in the family tradition by becoming a chess grandmaster on friday Vaishali, 22, became only the third woman in India to earn the title, but she's not the first in her family to achieve such a such a feat. Her brother, Pragnananda Ramesh Babu, became one of the youngest grandmasters in history in 2018 at the age of 12? Excuse wow. Me? Man. Oh, my. What, what were you All doing you at 12, Mark? I'm sorry. What did you say? On your, 
Well, all you parents out there looking to, you know, lean on your kids. Why aren't you, uh, you know, doing your homework? Here's a new example for you. This guy was a chess grandmaster at 12. <laughs> I was playing a lot of video games at the time. Uh, at 12. You were working your way become And then chess games, right? Chess video games, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, kind of stinking at them, but wow. whatever. They are the first brother and sister duo to become grandmasters, according to chess.com. Uh, becoming a grandmaster is not easy. Obviously, it takes time to actually achieve the title. Players must win three norm tournaments competitions, which must meet certain criteria and uh, surpass an International Chess Federation rating of 2,500. Uh, Vaishali had already won three norm tournaments and eventually crossed the rating with her second round win in Spain last week. Her brother, one of the best players in the world, said he always knew his older sister would one day accomplish the feat so oh, congratulations to her and congratulations yes to both of them. yeah in second mm -hmm. my god they're gonna make part two of the queen's gambit on these two that's pretty wild yeah. hey that'd be pretty cool mm -hmm. somebody's selling their story for sure but what a story what a th what a thing like it's amazing how family how you know anyone i'm sure in his own way there's things that he learned from his sister to get better and to surpass like it's really cool but no matter what these two are just brilliant at it Absolutely. It makes oh. family gatherings interesting. Just gather around and watch the say, siblings play. Man. Yeah. And, and if Best one of you of is good and the other one wants to play, you better be as good, right? Or else, like, what's the challenge? Who are you playing That's against? Right. Yep. Huh? Imagine if the parents can't stand it and say, you're not doing that again, right? <laughs> well, not you know? the parents are good at chess, actually. Yeah, or they might have another game. Maybe there's something else they play. Yeah. <laughs> uh. On the other hand, you know, they, they know what their kids are going to be doing. They're just going to be sitting around a chess uh, chess board. Don't yeah. need to worry about them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Staying out of trouble. All the fancy chest boards that Gold. you have to buy for them, you know, as presents and stuff like that. <laughs> Slick pieces. Oh, yeah. man, yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, one more story here. This one is from The Guardian from the UK. Uh, crime most foul. Police in Spain and Italy have arrested 11 people and seized more than 5,000 liters of adulterated olive oil after breaking up an international gang that allegedly sought to profit by passing off cheap oils as their more expensive equivalents. I can already hear the chefs in the audience uh, getting worked into a rage, you know, thinking they've bought that EVOO and mm. finding out not really that EVO. Uh, the investigation carried out by the Guardia Civil in conjunction with Italy's Carabinieri and Europol led to raids in both countries and the searching of olive processing cooperatives in the Spanish provinces of Ciudad Real, Jaén, and Cordoba. Uh, suspicions were first raised when Guardia civil officers discovered, quote, a series of anomalies while inspecting a truck that was transporting olive oil in the Ciudad Real region. Uh, they soon uncovered a two-pronged operation in Spain and Italy that was designed to distribute adulterated olive oil on the global market, basically coming up with a way to mix lower quality olive oil and byproducts of the process with uh, alleged virgin and extra virgin olive oil, falsifying the documents. Uh it, the prices will be increasing on olive oil due to uh, harvest issues, due to weather-driven climate change in right. Spain and Italy. Um, eight, eight simultaneous searches were carried out in Spain and Italy. 11 people were arrested, according to a statement from the Guardia Civil. Uh, the, the value of the uh, olive oil 
um, high, along with 91,000 euros in cash and four high-end vehicles. No word on what those vehicles were. Uh, what can you get for selling uh, hot, fake olive oil? Mm. I mean, okay, because was it you or Bill who brought up that there was a lot of olive oil shortage around Italy? Mary, and... wasn't it Mary? Didn't we have the olive oil chat with Mary? Uh, I don't know. I know we did have But there one. was. Like, there was a, a big kerfuffle around olive oil and the shortage because people were stealing straight branches and trees um, around Italy mostly, right, I think? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it wow. was it was leading to a lot of issues. So now, uh, on the heels of that, this... Where people are and, and with the shortage mentioned, you know this is what's going to happen. But I, I'm sure they would say this is a business that's been there as much as as the drug cartels and businesses. It's ups and downs. It has definitely probably reared its head, and there's probably that market of it. And they'll say that about things well, that we get from other countries. How much do we know? Uh, we have no idea how much of the, that market comes here and is sold to us. So obviously, there's a consistent market that's always probably lurking in the background, but especially when you do such a coordinated, um, you know, police operation, so many organizations mm -hmm. and like raids, eight simultaneously, we're not tipping anyone off. We're just go get them all at once. And I know we <laughs> chuckle because it's olive oil, but we hear this with everywhere. other food I, and, and other foods in the world too, other growth and, you know, whether it's apples or whatever, um, the, for a lot of countries, oh. like for, for, for Italy, this is such a huge export. Absolutely. And uh, it's funny you bring up that this isn't the hu the only uh, food-related smuggling matter. This isn't even the uh, only Spanish culinary staple to fall victim to criminal gangs mm. in recent years. Oh. In May 2021, Spanish police and officers arrested 17 people and seized half a ton of saffron after breaking oh, up a gang that allegedly imported the spice from Iran, bulked it out, and sold it as the protected and much-prized Spanish variety oh. from La Mancha. Proper Spanish saffron used to give paella its distinctive yellow hue costs around nine euros a gram. Wow. Ooh. Okay, that's unreal. Wow. Well, what was big a while ago in toast? What do you call it? Avocado? Mm -hmm. Is that what I'm thinking? Avocado, yeah. yeah. Well, they they did a huge story on uh, one of the networks about the businesses and how, how it's such a, how you got to watch the scams and stuff coming to Canada uh, and and things from Mexico because it's such a, there's such an illegal business in it and, and how many, how, how many people a year, get, you know, their lives are taken in illegal transportation of it and it's the always, marketing. It's always interesting with oil though, because the mm -hmm. way that you have to know your oils, especially your olive oil, to know that it's authentic to begin That's with, it. right? If yep. it's extra virgin, if it's got all the approved stamps and, Certainly. you know, the processes uh, versus, you know, the way that they were like, well, we could finesse this a little and see see what it goes for. Let's just try pawning this off. Mark, you, can you tell the difference? Yeah, there's some real No, I'm busy in this in chess here. game. Hey, real. Uh, <laughs> hey I, I'm lucky when I don't ruin dinner while making it. So. <laughs> Never mind the quality of the oil. Well, that's the whole thing. We were talking about where you can use, what you can use, how to cook, what temperature, like just the, the different things. the only one things. who cares about olive oil out here. Yeah. Olive oil is good stuff, eh? It is. Right? Good olive oil is good stuff. Yeah. I don't think I'd know that difference, oh, dear. though. I'm sorry. I'd be the guy they'd be selling to with no issue. Uh, thanks, Mark. <laughs> hey, very welcome. Mark Phoenix joining us. Filling in for Bill Shackleton, we call this segment The Buzz. We do this on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays on the program. We've got another hour ahead. Hopefully you can stick around with us. Uh, Mike French with Robert Half will be sharing some of their latest research with us. 
This is all about all things Canadian employment. And as we wind up the year, financial advisor Ryan Chin reflects on why we need to keep our finances in check and why we should get professional advice to deal with our money. But up next, community reporter Vic Perra highlights uh, Braille greeting cards we can get a hold of out in Winnipeg. Stay tuned. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Hour two of Kelly and Ramya. Thanks for being with us wherever you are. First repeat of the program on both networks, AMI-audio and AMI-tv, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Check us out on AMI-tv at 1 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning for repeat over on AMI-audio. On the weekends, enjoy the best of Kelly and Ramya. And, of course, you can always subscribe to our podcast at your leisure. Ramya's here with me in Toronto. We are at the studio here on main campus. I'm Kelly McDonald. Well, technically, you're here with me because I'm always here. Well, you're always in this city, so technically, you're always here. Yeah. Right. So you're here with me. Okay. Thank you for joining so me. So in Toronto, <laughs> I'm here with Ramya Muthan. Thanks. Visiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways. Even though I've worked at this company a lot. What are you trying okay, to do to all me? All right. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's put the semantics aside. Yeah, I can see this is right. going down a bad say. road. I'm allowing Rumia Muthan to occupy the same studio space with Unreal. me today. Aren't I generous? Which was here first, Kelly, or the studio? Or okay. the city of Toronto. Or the city of Toronto. Okay. Let's get to a community report before we absolutely run out of time. Uh, Vic Pereira is joining us today from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Vic, how's it going? It's going well, thank you. Who do you think got here first, Studio Kelly or me? Oh, uh, oh uh, I think it was, I saw you there together, so I, I assume that you, you both Pop just out. appeared simultaneously. That's the way to do it, Vic. Fifth. That's the, the fifth. way, he's, he's covered himself there. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, to ask you something you do know the answer to, there are some Braille greeting cards you want us to know about that we can get a hold of in Winnipeg, and these are what, homemade? Yeah, well, almost. Kelly, Kayla DeBeats, she got a job with CNIB about four or five years ago, and she took it upon herself to learn Braille. And she reached out to people saying, if anybody has Christmas cards that they want to send to someone who's a Braille reader, bring them in. She'll transcribe them, put in the, either on the card itself, or if it's too much, she'll put an insert. And uh, she wants about a two-day turnaround time because she has... You know, another job that she does. She's just doing this out of the kindness of her heart. And then the only thing that's expected is it's appreciated if you can make a donation to the CNIB mm. Foundation. Mm. So it's lovely because she's transcribing cards that are already out there right. that you might want to pick up because you're like, I love this message for my, my friend, my family member, my royal reading person. And uh, she will transcribe that message for you. Yes. I love that. And she's extended it to all year round now because she started only doing this around the holiday yeah. season, but now she does it all year because not all of us have birthdays in December. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm one of I'm one of them. What a way to make and again, I know there's some people out there that you would just love to receive that card from whoever and then to open it up and, you know, usually you have to say to someone, can you read it to me? Or, hey, read the card so-and-so sent to me. It just came in the mail. But to be able to sit there and just do that yourself and know that somebody went that, that doesn't isn't a Braille user somehow 
magically had this done. I mean, the, the feel that gives the receiver of it, the person giving it, but she must just feel too like, hey, I have something I can offer up that really will make someone's day. Especially to invest the time to learn it personally. And like a Perkins Brailler can be rather intimidating yeah. if you've yes. seen one. Yes. Uh, that's such a fair point. Uh, you know, like part of her story is that she learned how to read braille herself so i think that there is a sense of pride right to be able to do that exactly and time. say like it's part of my story so i want to keep promoting that braille because we talk about braille literacy as a whole this way right uh keep promoting braille literacy as a thing keep talking about it keep making the community feel valued because it is it will continue to prevail um with smart devices and all these other things taking on braille but really like as people continue to learn braille that's the biggest significance that it's yeah. continuing to grow and it's not a service cnib offers vic no True, no she's yeah. doing it herself mm. this is amazing um your second item a free Manitoba, uh, sorry, free Manitoba Chamber Orchestra concert. This is all your holiday favorites coming up. Yes. The Manitoba Chamber Orchestra, the, I've gone to several of their performances. They, mm. they usually pick an old church like that's over 100 years old because the acoustics are phenomenal in those old structures. Yes. And this is part of their outreach program where they're going to the Forks, which is a very popular area here in Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. And for two hours, you get to sit there and enjoy the performance for free. Wow. Uh, so, and so this will be in a church space at the Forks? No. Or no, outside? The, the, the Forks, yeah. The, it, it'll be inside the, the Common, which is okay, yep. the Forks. Before they transformed it into the Forks Market, it, it was run by the, the railroad. So you have the, the big main building there, which is now full of different market spaces yes. and the food court. And then there's the Johnson Terminal, which has a couple of coffee places. So there's big open spaces indoors because uh, I'm not—I don't know how to play a cello or a bass, but I don't think <laughs> I'd want to do that. Wow! <laughs> minus in minus degree weather. Yeah, well, I know that's so, what I was thinking because when you said that, I was like, "What in, in, in Winnipeg?" But I—I I forgot too. I didn't think of those buildings been in them, and I know what you mean. Um, this is really magical on the 14th of December. Uh, you said you've been before um is it pretty well a full concert hour and a half two hours or what yeah it's two hours it'll be from five to seven and you can spend a lot of time at the forks property itself you can rent skates and because they have a, a skating rink underneath the canopy i don't think the river will be frozen by then because we're unseasonally warm right now like it's plus five here today yes so, <laughs> so i i I wouldn't be one of the people trying the ice. And normally you can get ice bites, which I've never tried yet, but oh. I'm intrigued. Ice bites? Yeah, they have, yeah, instead of a front wheel, they have, uh, I guess, skate oh, bites on bikes. the front. Okay, yeah, yeah. That ice would bikes, be yeah. neat. I haven't tried yeah. that either. I, I could handle that. That's great, Vic. Um, so the 14th of December, down at the Forks, the 5 to 7. Uh, what a wonderful show. Will you be at this one? I will be at this one because uh, it's I'll be walking I just worked a couple blocks north of there when I'm downtown so it'll be easy for me to get to and, and the Manitoba Chamber Orchestra is well I like most genres of music and uh, I do appreciate the effort they do and all their outreach programs mm. they even go outside of Winnipeg to small and rural communities to encourage uh, people who normally aren't exposed to this type of music to take up classical music or classical instruments and 
they take the th a theme each year, I take it, of that part of Christmas? Like, I mean, whether it's mo more modern songs, old or traditional, or, or um, perform them Christmas favorites in, in different styles? Is that how they do it? Or, is, or take everything and kind of put it in that full chamber yeah, orchestra? Yeah, uh, they, they haven't released a playlist, which I'm surprised, but I wouldn't be surprised if you get something from Handel or yeah. a little bit of Bach. You know, who doesn't appreciate Baroque music? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is excellent. And uh, I take it well attended. Yes. I'll, for, even if they're not there, the Forks is always well attended. Awesome. Uh, it's a very, very popular. And there's a hotel there. You know, the Canadian mm. Museum for Human Rights is located there. The Manitoba Theatre for Young People is there. The Children's Museum is there. Yeah. Yeah. What else, uh, Vic, planned for Christmas? Anything else for yourselves? Uh, uh, well, we're having people over for, for dinner. We have a few friends who aren't from Winnipeg, uh, a friend of a couple we know are from the States. He's part of the military, so he's stationed in Hawaii, and his wife is staying here, so she'll be joining us for Christmas dinner. I I don't know why. Uh, if I was her, I'd rather be with her husband <laughs> in Hawaii. <laughs> like they didn't invite you, yeah. so you had to invite them kind of thing. She's already <laughs> sent Hawaii-type weather out to Winnipeg, so maybe she's counting mm -hmm. on it staying. <laughs> yeah. Well, Thanks, pal. Uh, you're mm -hmm. welcome. Enjoy your time. Enjoy your holidays. We'll catch up with you in the new year. All the best. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and I hope everything is going well for you guys there in the big smoke. Oh, I thank bet. you. Thanks, thank you. Vic. Appreciate it. Vic Pereira joining us for our community report in Winnipeg, Manitoba this time around. And stick around for our community reports at the end of the, f or start of the second hour, Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. I like Am I the slowing idea. down the show? You're, um... Still at the end of the first hour. Yeah, your timing is a little off Oops. there, just a bit. But that's okay, because we've got so much ahead, and we've got a fast talker up next who's going to fill our heads with all sorts of things. And keeping us in mind, the year is coming to a close. When we return and wind up the year, folks, financial advisor Ryan Chin reflects on why we need to keep our finances in check and why we should have professional advice to deal with our money. Stay tuned. We'll talk to him in two minutes. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Welcome back to the program. A lot ahead still, folks. Got to take care of our dough. We'll talk to Ryan in a couple of moments about that. So one of the things we talk about is Ramya's newfound love of coffee. Newfound, uh, let's see, April, May, yeah. New. This Newish. year. Yeah, My yeah, goodness. this year is new. You're I actually right, thought it was right. longer than that still. I but... did like coffee before this, but only in the form of a uh, fancy latte or cappuccino from Starbucks once in a while. So the timing has got to be right, though, with drinking coffee. Like I know, I you and I were amount. talking about this. Yeah, yeah. we got to keep it so that you don't feel that crash, because you're only a, what, 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 one cup still? Yeah, I'm one cup a day and in the Still. middle of the day right before the show. Oh, so you my give me gosh. beautiful coffee energy. Send in the rookies. Anyway, I, I know it'll change over the, the years to come. Don't say but that. I remember the first time I was offered coffee cake. Ugh. And I thought it was, no, but that's what I thought. I was a kid. I said, it's not going to taste like coffee. Ugh. And I didn't like coffee then, right? I, I got really so traumatized I... thinking, these people are going to make me eat this stuff to taste like coffee. Have you had a good coffee cake? I'm not going to lie. I've still not had a good coffee cake. I, I wouldn't know a good one from a bad one. I think they're all pretty good. I don't, I don't oh. really, I'm not fussy, right? It's, it's, you it's like sweet. It's full of sugar. Forest cake. Mm, I do, but it's not one of okay. my favorites, but I'll mm. eat it. No, 
I won't eat that either. It so. sometimes tastes plasticky, so that's why I don't like it. Oh, what does that even mean? No. The creamy. It tastes like plastic. You know what plastic is? I don't know why a cake should taste plasticky. Well, well probably because it it's shouldn't. Fake? It probably <laughs> shouldn't, Rum. And that's probably what's wrong with it. All right, enough of this okay. nonsense. We got All somebody right. else Let's who likes on. who likes Black Forest Stop cake. Stop wasting our money on plasticky cake. Oh, go ahead. I'm going to try to get you a piece of plastic of Black Forest no. cake. It's time to shine a light on finance with Ryan Bradley Chin, Certified Financial Planner. Hello, it's Ryan Chin. I'm a Certified Financial Planner. Listen in as I talk money with Kelly and Rumya, where we will explore the world of finance. From navigating RDSP savings to retirement planning, I'll help you design a roadmap for tomorrow. From Sun Life Financial, we returned to the program, Mr. Ryan Chin. How's things going, sir? And coffee cake person or black forest cake? Or neither. Uh, or neither. I'm, a, I'm an angel food cake yes. uh, kind of guy. Well, that's better. <laughs> Maybe a little rum listen. cake, huh? Oh, yeah. Pound cake's oh, good. Oh, my God. Mm. That was my, my dad's grandfather's favorite, so we had to eat lots of pound cake, and I tried to get my other friends to like it, and they'd say, what's wrong with you? That's like someone liking fruit cake. If it has rum so, and wine in it, yeah. So like we're uh, so from Barbados. I'm from Barbados, and and we have something called black cake, which yeah. is a very rum-based yep. cake. It's wonderful. That stuff will get you seriously drunk. I'm. Oh, yeah. I've had enough pieces to know. All right. That's interesting because some places that just simply means chocolate cake. What rum cake? No black cake. Black cake. Yeah. Oh. That's for some some places. I don't that's know that. what people. I mean. know when you add the forest to it. What is it then? Cherry. Cherry and whipped cream, right? Yuck. You wouldn't like it. Once in a while, we'll throw raisins in just to get you going. All right. Uh, Ryan, let's get into this conversation here you've got for us today because <laughs> it's important to keep our finances in check, why we should have some professional advi you know, advisement, and the reasons it's uh, we should be sharing our facts with our advisor. Um, maybe you can define this a little bit more than I'm doing. Um, why, why would we come to that financial advisor? Th is that something that you need us to tell you when we're coming to seek that professional advice? Yeah, Cal, I mean, here's the thing, right? We we all hit cross, different crossroads in life. And sometimes it's important to have that third-party advice. I mean, financial advice, absolutely. You know, um, there are times whether, you know, whether you're thinking about getting married, you're thinking about cohabitating, maybe it's time to have a child and you're, you're right about to, or you're looking to retire. There are many reasons where, why somebody would want to uh, seek financial advice. Um, and, and it's important you know, to, to identify that, not avoid it, not, you know, bury right. it under the, the rug and say, hey, you know what, it'd be nice to have someone in my corner who can help guide me through some of the financial decisions that I'm going to mm -hmm. need to make. That navigating. Yeah. Mm. What are some other reasons why people would come to uh, see a financial advisor? Like, what are yeah. some of the problems we might be having? Yeah, I mean, so sometimes, you know, folks are, you know, they, they've overextended themselves, you know, now they're in a debt position. I mean, hey, for example, I had a, 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 a client call me up last week and and a young couple and they said, look, Ryan, I'm in a I'm in a mountain of debt. We, you know, we're just 
just starting to get together here and and uh you know my fiance and i we're, we're having a little difficulty we're gonna have a move back home and we just want someone to help us um you know make some good financial decisions mm. so that we can uh one day buy a house i mean that's that's absolutely one reason other reasons could be you know maybe maybe there's been a death in the family there's an inheritance so some of money's being paid out to you and you just want some help as to know what to do with it i mean could be you maybe you just got laid off maybe you just got a new job i mean there it really is very personal as to why you would want to seek financial advice inheritance right like you come up on a whole bunch of money yeah. that's a scary situation to be in sometimes uh also like is it fair to say that you might be doing well you might be doing okay but just want to seek a professional's thoughts on that on how you're doing Romeo, it's always nice to have a second opinion, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, even if it's, Hey, I already have an advisor. I'm working with someone right now, but can you just double check that, you know, everything is in place. I literally just got off a call five minutes ago and this other person I was talking to is a financial advisor. That's what he does. That's his job, his business. And, um, we went through his personal situation, him and his wife. Um, and, um, we, we did a f full financial plan with him and, basically just talk to about some some concepts things to think about things to you know um look at my job wasn't to say hey everything's on track you're doing it all great but was more to expose to alternate thinkings mm -hmm. just another strategy that maybe you know they hadn't they hadn't thought about and um give them some food for thought like a doctor getting that other opinion but also just to flush it all out because you help that navigation and you as the as an advisor it really does help you with their their choices to give those examples of things that roads they may want to go down uh, Kel, no problem. You're absolutely right. Just even going through the process of putting all of that information into a plan um and and working through that plan and just having that second opinion to say hey, oh, did you did you think of this or, or what about this? You know, just those kinds of added touches yeah. could make the world a difference. So with one would say that your financial advisor needs to know what you actually care about so they can devise that plan that you'll be excited to follow. So what other kinds of examples can you think of for the client? Yeah. I mean, so here we are. I mean, it's important that the advisor understands your your goals. It understand they they need to understand what you believe in. For example, you know, um, uh, earlier today, I ch I was speaking with another uh, client who's very socially responsible. She wants to make sure that all of her investment, like her her lifestyle, lives this way. So she'd like all of her investments to have good social return on investment she wants to make sure that you know none of the investments are are invested in oil or tobacco ah, or yeah. arms you know and and by knowing more about the values that the uh, individual believes in really helps me understand like hey this is something that's close to them it's near in there near and dear yeah. and what do i need to do to make sure that i match the investment up with their expectation. Wow. Mm. 
That's a fair point, actually, because you could have these value systems, and it, of course, could extend to the, the money and the investments you want to um, create and handle, but no idea where to start on that point, right, right? So you can go to a professional who obviously knows what they're doing, what these letters and numbers and portfolios mean and who's doing what to put your money towards. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What do the dots mean again? Yeah, okay, exactly. go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that kind of also brings you to what you're willing to do, how much you're able to put aside, uh, how often, because really money is a tool to you, not necessarily something you need for its own sake. Well, that's it. I mean, we we can save money, but we can't take it with us. Right. So what's the point, right? I mean, uh, you know, we can't fill the box that, that you know, that and and take it with us. So, yeah. you know, it's important to make sure that we're we're utilizing money um, as as what it's there for. It's it's to allow us either to acquire things, support things, you know, do things we want to do, whatever. But um, so with a planner, with someone who's a planner, like our job is to really understand, you know, what is it that you have? What is it that you'd like to do? And can you achieve those things with, with what we've got to work with? Um, so it, it, there's a lot, there's a lot in there. Um, really and truly, uh, having a good financial planner in your corner, having a great conversation with somebody who, who understands you as a holistic individual, then, uh, you know, man, uh, things get a lot easier. Wow. Wow. Let's continue on that trajectory. Actually, like you feel that it's important, not just to know what we have, um, but also how you feel. So what do you mean by this? Yeah, it's a great question, uh, Romeo. So, you know, uh, I, I was listening earlier. You mentioned about, you know, just getting into coffee and having that burst of coffee once a day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, 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 when we start to get into, you know, tell me about you, tell me about your risk taking, tell me about your, 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 your conceptual conception of, you know, taking a chance. Will you taste that cake that maybe someone said it's coffee cake? Oh my God, is it going to taste like coffee? Oh no. But you know, some people will just dive right in and say, I'll, I'll give it a go. Who right. cares? And, and, it's what it is, is really understanding who that person is, what's their level of risk personally, because far be it from me to just pick an investment, whether, I mean, I could believe in it and think it's wonderful, but if you, if it doesn't match your personality and your temperament, then I'm way off the mark. Yeah. So not everyone has the same investment. Not everyone fits the same model. And we really want to personalize and customize. So it's important to share. Uh, share your experiences, share what, what you're comfortable doing, what you're, com how, you know, what you're comfortable experiencing. You know, if the market drops 30% in one month, what would you do? Right. And it's a way deeper <laughs> conversation than just what money you have and what you're willing to do right now. Right. Right. Because yeah. uh, we all have different parents. We all have different backgrounds with money. Maybe money never came up in your house. Maybe it only came up uh, when everyone was yelling at each other about it. Like, who knows? And you have to kind of dig into that a little bit or at least understand the nuances of these conversations. It's a great point. I mean, when you think about it, if you grew up in a household where money was tight and um, you weren't spending very much, 
then it may translate to where you're you're not comfortable spending money or you're feeling that if I buy that item, um, I might fall into a shortfall. You may have lots of money, but it doesn't matter. You're, 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 that's what you know. And that's mm. what you understand. I mean, there are a lot of people today who grew up, uh, I mean, now we're going to our parents and our parents' parents uh, who grew up in the depression Mm. And they know what it's what it's like not to have anything. So really parceling out what they do have to make sure that they have something for tomorrow is really important to them. And, uh, you know, that's important for your advisor to know. Mm -hmm. They need to know who you are and what you believe. Right. And so, not to mention, too, right, like financial literacy as a whole. Um, some people have more experience with it than others going into uh, speaking with a financial advisor, like whether it be school or just, you know, different programs that opened you up to the conversations around money with or without your household. Um, but like the educational aspect of it is also very important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, great point. I mean, I, I'll tell you, I talked to a lot of people who, you know, some people are extremely extremely in tune with their with their finances they know where they want to invest they know how they know you know about the markets they know it all and then i have folks who just um not sure what the decimal means yeah. so i mean it's few and far between but you know what my job is to work with each person individually and help coach them through um you know achieving the goals that they want to set for themselves so ryan sometimes people may be looking for a new financial advisor. Why is sharing your previous experience so beneficial to you when you bring somebody in this position on? That's yeah, a great. Uh, I'll tell you something, Kel. Like that's kind of really, um, I would say, one of the quintessential important things because, you know, if you if you've had a relationship with another advisor and they, you know, they, you know, let's talk about our situation. You know, if they didn't really consider. The fact that you're blind or partially sighted, do you need something in Braille? Do you need enlarged print? They would continuously send you documents that you couldn't access or, um, you know, they want they were just putting papers in front of you and making you sign them without explaining them to you or really giving you any dialogue around what it was that you were doing. Like, you know, if you're getting that type of experience, it's important to acknowledge to the advisor uh, that you're in. And I say treat it like an interview, because if you're going to go into a new advisor relationship, talk to a few find out does this person believe in you know have similar beliefs as me will they listen to the problems that mm -hmm. i've had uh, the and, and try to correct those negative experiences because no one this is your this is your personal situation your money you've worked hard for it you deserve to be treated with respect yeah. as well and um, you know it also needs to you know fit your lifestyle yeah Ryan, we're going to put a hold on it there and we'll get back to this topic when you're back with us in the new year, yeah, man. That's a good one. Yeah, really good one. And still some hey. places to go. Yeah, make sure that, uh, you know, we spend wisely over the next couple of weeks and uh, look forward to chatting yeah. in the new year. Sounding like the food convo we just had. Uh, but it's always <laughs> the food convos we have. Be nice to yourself. Be nice. Yeah, you have yeah. another cookie. <laughs> Ryan, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Ryan is not the enemy.
Don't no, take it out on him, Kelly. Coffee cake, Amuthan. Coffee cake. I'm you can't have your cake. Plasticky coffee and cake. Eat I'm not spending money too, on that. Right? Uh, check out Ryan Chin and Becky Armstrong on Eyes on Your Money, the AMI original podcast. To reach Ryan directly, you can send an email to ryan.chin at sunlife.com. Up next on the program, Mike French with Robert Half shares their recent, re, most recent research. And this, you're going to want to hang in for, folks, because it's about everything Canadian employment. Stay tuned. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. We're rolling through our second hour. I'm glad you're still with us, folks. Rummy Muth and Kelly McDonald, hosts of this program here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. You can tune in to Kelly and Rummy. And on the weekend, check out the best of Kelly and Rummy on AMI-tv and repeats of the show at 2.10, excuse me, 10 p.m. Eastern Time on both AMI-audio and AMI-tv. We sit here, Rummy and I, at the studio in Toronto. And you told, you asked me earlier if I get thrown off when you're around. We've had a little bumping of chairs in the yeah. last in the last half an hour or so. Yeah, and just more knee, my knee. I've I've kneed your, knee. your chairs. I've crossed yeah. just yeah. to get on angle yeah, because exactly. I'm like, oh, I gotta straighten this leg out, move it, change it. And, and it's the bad habit leg sitting right. Like I, uh, I bend my knee, yeah. and I'm not supposed to keep it straight. Me too. I usually to have tossed like a shoe or two off by this time. Oh, good grief! Please don't do that today. There's, there's, know. You know, I know. Today we might not, like damage you're not alone something. In here. Right? Yeah, you're not alone. You don't go flipping <laughs> wait, that around. Wait, wait a minute. No, it's not going to be harmful. It'll be fine. Anyways, um, once a month we like <laughs> <Sure> to <laughs> we talk employment at this time uh, every Wednesday. But once a month we like to check in specifically with Robert Half Canada, see what they're up to. They do a lot of great research on the status state of employment in Canada. And today we're talking artificial intelligence. I think pretty much the whole time. Mm -hmm. Mike French is joining us. Mike, nice to have you back on. Thanks for having me, Ramya. I love being on with you guys. Yeah, and it's yeah. nice to have Kelly in person, you on the show. So as Just I said, watch for flying shoes, man. <laughs> I'll try to do it when the cam's not on me. So <laughs> we're going to talk about artificial intelligence. Um, can we first start with optimizing resumes? I feel like this would be the first thing that people think of when it comes to using AI in the job search, job recruitment, anything job-related process. So this was really interesting. So we recently surveyed just our 1,200 professionals and asked them, so AI is new. What are you going to use it for? How are you planning on using it? Knowing that we're all just sort of also learning how to use it, and it is so brand new. And out of the gate, pretty much equally weighted, people said that they're going to use it for writing their resume. And you know what? The keyword optimization. So we know that, let's call it big one, chat GPT, something been around now, maybe is it nine months we've been talking about this? It's a uh -huh. great tool, but it also has some weaknesses. But it's amazing that when you type into chat GPT, resume on and type in what you've done, mm. it can generate for you a pretty impressive resume. But I would say it's not something you can start passing out at that point. You still need to edit it. You still want to review it. You want to make sure that everything in there makes sense. It reflects you. But also you want to make sure now you want to add the rest of you that's missing to the resume. You don't want to look at everybody else's resume, so add your personalization. But that was the number one thing job seekers said they'd use it for. And then coming through at number two, and this was something I had to ask. I wasn't certain how it would work. 
and I'm not, um, I'm, I'm a bit more mature, you know, a uh, Gen Xer. So I have to ask for these technology explain to me, <laughs> they said recent. So I asked some young guys in my office, they said researching job opportunities. I said, well, how would that work? They said, well, type in chat GPT, tell me about jobs that do this in my neighborhood or my area. Ah. And it would bring up a whole bunch of descriptions and all the jobs that would be available that have that either that skill or that job title. Hmm. I'm thinking like, well, that would sort of, that'd be really interesting. Then it's going to match it to what I'm looking for. So more and more ways to use AI and it is still really new. But yeah. The one I like the most and the one that people spend the most time sort of on, and I'm not certain still makes sense today, but a lot of employers still look for cover letter writing. So it's a great tool to do things like writing a cover letter where it can be, I don't want to say generic, but it hits the key parts of you, talks about sort of what you've done, real briefly sort of reinforces the strengths that you have, but it's a nice nice and tight sort of letter to the employer. That's a great use for chat GPT. Mm. And the last one. That's the one that I wondered, right? Because that one's the hard one that people, you know, the other, writing a resume, you got to tweak it. You got to know apparently what style is the style that's currently in. And I think chat GPT can can tailor to that, know that, and be, you know, will make that adjustment. But the cover letter, yeah, there's so much you say, I don't want to put too much in. I don't want to blow my horn too much, but yes, blow my horn. So really cool. Sorry, Michael, next one. And the last one, this one I really liked was improving LinkedIn profiles. Mm. So it could bring oh, you up samples. On. So put in what you've done, put in your experience, and it'll help you generate, I guess, a more robust and a more dynamic LinkedIn profile. And those came through very equally weighted. So everyone started using them all for the same ideas. But I really like the color writing because that's something that most people, a lot of people have stopped doing or they find it tedious for every resume to put out a cover letter. Did they get, did they get read? And oh. I, I don't usually weigh in on how effective they are. You know, yeah. just do one. It's required. We learned that, learned that back in school in the 80s, been around for a long time. So you know what? Still worth doing though. Yep. Yeah, and that's the one that, they, that that's what I was told. It speaks for you because a lot of time, are they really going to bother that much with your resume if they get through the cover letter and you have basically just used it as a setup for the resume. Mm. No, no, no. Put all the goods out there right then and there, why you should be there, why you should work for them. The other interesting part now is when you think of you're in the workforce and you're working, and now we have four generations in the workforce today. We have the people just getting ready to exit, the boomers who are on the way out, then you have the Gen Xers like me, and the millennials and Gen Z. And so we asked them, how is AI going to impact your career? And that runs right along generational lines. When you start with the boomers exiting, they're they're coming through at 16% saying, ah, not very much, very, very little. Then going up a little bit more, about 20%, you have the Gen Xers like me saying, yeah, it's going to impact us, uh, but it's only 20%. And I think that might be a little bit low. I think we'll actually see a bit more impact in our careers. Then you have the millennials, these are the Gen Ys, they come through pretty strong at just under 440%. I think they're also representing a little bit light, maybe actually higher. But the Gen Zers, these are our fresh, our new workers, they fresh out of school, bringing a lot of new ideas to the workforce. They came through at 46%. I got to tell you, I think it'll be much higher than that. I think they're going to be more around 90%. For sure. They're going to be the ones who know how to use AI. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the highly skilled people who, who will have it for a very long period of time. It's going to impact every single one of them. But people are actually very optimistic about the use of AI. It is going to replace possibly some some lower level, some very repetitive tasks. There'll be more jobs created 
higher up the value chain in programming the AI, in working with the AI, tweaking the AI, and then integrating AI into your business practices. And that's where the really interesting sort of high pay is, not in the lower level, um, transactional, very, very repetitive skills. So we're gonna see some great things from AI in the future coming. Yeah, so much of the fear-mongering out there, obviously, Mike, but I really like the way that you've put it this way. It's not necessarily even leveraging AI to do all the stuff that we don't want to do, but yeah, it's that no. there's more jobs still, right? There's more jobs around AI, and even if it's not necessarily around AI, but where we can leverage AI, still use it as a tool, um, but not feel necessarily intimidated by it. But I am curious about the consequences of using AI for the purposes. Um, you know, who's really on board, who's not? Get a sense of that. Because as you said, Gen Z, like they're already in it, right? It, as you say, it's it's still getting higher, the, the percentage of people using, but they're already in it. It's in the, I don't know, kind of like the, the crooks of it all now. Uh, some of us are still getting on board with AI or thinking of it as more of an afterthought. Oh yeah, I could have used AI to write my script for me. Oh, think about that tomorrow kind of thing. But what about still kind of understanding the place for AI in jobs? So so that's a great point. I realize this is a very new technology mm -hmm. and it is something now where computers or a big giant brain is making a decision outside of uh, of your body for things that are going to impact you and people around you. So when you think of what's being, for what Netflix prefers and thinks you're gonna like. So that's a very basic level of it. But I start thinking, okay, in the work world, how are we gonna use it? So realize it is a new technology. You just cannot type into chat GPT or any of them, here's what I want and then figure it's perfect, you really need to make sure you're spending some time using it as a tool and not a full solution for some of the challenges. You know, we have, the world's full of business problems and ChatGPT or any of these AI engines are gonna be one of, the, one of the tools that we use to help solution problems, but it still requires some very highly skilled people like you and I and the rest of the working world out there to review what ChatGPT or these engines do pump out. Right. It's not perfect, we wanna edit it. You know, we talk about it, I was talking about it today with education. How, what do you think of sort of, I had someone who newly graduated, what do you think of ChatGPT or any of these engines back at school? Should you be using them for research? And we all concluded, well, maybe not as a finished product, but it's a really good tool to use for doing research, for helping to get maybe part of the way done an essay or some research. But even in the workplace, you know, we, we hear of some, we always hear the pitfalls. We hear of a lawyer who used it for research or a brief, and we hear all about those. But for every <laughs> negative one of those, there's thousands of very successful ones. But I, think I didn't we hear, hear about the about, brief one, tell no, us no, more. No. <laughs> Uh, I don't know about I don't know too much about it, but you know what? We, uh, there's lots of times that we hear about Chat GPT or one of these engines blowing up, having a disaster. Mm. But there's way more times it's been successful. Yep. Um, but we are in the very, very early stages. Like I don't think last year we ever spoke about this because my learning on it has been more this year, mm -hmm. and I was surprised at how. Um, how smart or how well trained it was and it's only getting smarter yeah. and the more people that use it the smarter it's going to get yeah and some some are really training it well as we talked about the different generations and and all that and our, our younger peers is just incredible and i love the multi-use because that's exactly it as, as it's like its own 
we find our creative ways to do things, and it's that assistant along with you. Let's talk about salaries, Michael. Um, you guys did some work on this as well, and salaries used to be that thing people were really secretive about, uh, but now people are opening quite a bit more. Why is this, and what are the stats on this one? Ooh, times have changed. Uh -huh. Remember the days when you're told, here's what you're making, and don't tell anybody else, keep it a secret? That's right. Well, it's funny you that... say that. I remember hearing now, you know, you're the only one getting a little bit more money here, so keep your mouth closed as the line progressed along. And, yeah, I got the same 3%. Hey. <laughs> I hate to tell you, Kelly, but, yeah, probably wasn't true. Exactly. Uh, and that and sort of that practice in companies or organizations has led to the salary disparity that's been out there. We talk about these sort of male-female disparity salaries or or sometimes it goes on like ethnicity. So mm -hmm. that's something now that salary transparency has come along. There's been a lot of work fixing that. We now have BC, which has a salary transparency law. Ontario is very close behind it. So out in BC, we know that job postings will now have to have a salary. We know that you can no longer sort of interview people and say, well, here's what the job pays. Sorry, I didn't tell you earlier because mm -hmm. you've wasted your time. We also know, though, that when you are hiring, when you post a job, you will now attract people who are interested in that salary. So employers say they save a lot of time. Candidates say they no longer end up with a surprise at the end getting an offer that's really, really low. Now, some of the challenges are, you're sort of advertising to your competitors what you're paying, so maybe your competitive advantage might be might be gone, but the benefits far outweigh some of those uh, some of those negatives that that can happen. Yeah. But we also we also see it south of the border, and surprisingly, this started uh, in a few of the U.S. states and it's now crept into Canada, but it's something that's really really important. When you look at the the generations again, back to that Gen Z, they almost all will talk openly about their salary amongst their coworkers. Day one, they're saying, hey, how much are you making? I'm making this. And very openly. And they'll discuss it right out in the workplace where that's something I would never have done. Right, but they're right. very, very comfortable. And that follows those generations along the same trajectory. When you get to the boomers at the end who would never, ever do that up there with sort of using the AI. It's, it's the same sort of thing. Yeah, Gen Z out there is going to actually resolve the issue or solve the problem of salary transparency because they're willing to be fully transparent. Mm -mm. And I'm, I'm curious about one particular aspect of this transparency around salary, which is negotiation. So a lot of the times we say, you know, go into the interview knowing what your field pays, what your industry pays, what you're bringing to the table, knowing, uh, go in knowing what you're willing to uh, get out of it. Um, and then when the salary stuff comes up, you know that the negotiation process is on the table. But if everything is going to be transparent from day one, do you think that it means pretty much we're throwing negotiation out the window? No, I think negotiation is still here, mm. but you have to go in with a fair bit of information. So you're going to know what the range is for the salary. You also know should know what you're worth. And so by being very active in the market, by looking at job postings, by reviewing things like our salary guide, which is online for the whole world to see, yep. you'll know what you should be paid for that position. Companies now, at the same time, they will have their competitive advantage. It might be, maybe they pay really high, but the benefits are a little bit weaker. Maybe their pay is in the middle, but they have good benefits. Maybe their pay is a little bit on the lower side, but the benefits are phenomenal, or the vacation is extra. So every company will have what they think is the right mix of the total reward. And now it's up to the job seeker to figure out, okay, what's more important to me? Do I really want 
four or six weeks vacation, or is money the very most important? I will flex on things like the extra medical or the extra massage, or I don't need five weeks vacation. So you have to figure out what really is important, and that should come out in the interview process. As you are interviewing, and the more senior you are, the more interviews you'll go for, you should be talking about, well, what would an offer look like? Tell me more about your culture. Tell me more about the benefits you offer, and, and why do people enjoy and stay with you for those benefits? If companies don't want to talk about it, I'd wonder sort of what they're hiding or what their secret is, because they should be very open about those sorts of things. I think um, all of this makes a lot of sense just in where we are right now around the job market, around the conversations that we're having, you know, flexible hours, what, more transparency, a communication overall between management and supervision and uh, higher ups versus like the rest of us. So, you know, doesn't it feel like... I don't know if the pandemic just made it more prevalent that we talk about all this now uh, and AI coming in, but everything seems to be going in this forward momentum, forward motion, Mike. So I think for a very long time, there was not a ton of change. You know, look at salaries. They were going up maybe 2 or 3% a year, and they had been for a, a long time. We hadn't seen major changes in labor laws for a long time. And then the pandemic really did, it was a reset. Yeah. And now companies are fully reset on how they're engaging with their, with their talent, with their fantastic people that work for them. People at the same time have made some great strides. We've seen salaries really increase in the last three years. We're seeing some people saying that salaries are up 25%. We've seen um, just this past October, minimum wage in Ontario went up over a buck and a, I think about a buck, maybe a buck 25. So that's significant. We used to see it go up five, ten, five or 10 cents. So we've seen a lot of change after COVID. And I think companies at the same time realized it was time to change. Mm. I mean, you know, as, as we all get older and there are sort of times to embrace, it may have been a changing of the guard yeah. where now we have maybe the, the, the old leaders exiting the business and new ones taking over saying, there's a new way to do this and we want to embrace or engage with our people in a different manner. And this is how we're going to do it. There's some pretty bold things happening out there. And I think some of these changes are part of it. You know, it's a great, great time to be involved in, in labor and, and in talent because it is very, very dynamic. We hear every day, you know, we latest yesterday, uh, some, some banks talking about some layoffs, but the job market at the same time snatched those people up because the private sector and the small business sector has jobs for them. For them, It's a great way for them to actually build their bench of talent to now have available people that were only available to some of the big guys before. Yeah. So for every layoff at some great big company, some small family business gets that talent now to work for them. So it's, it's, a great, it's a great way. It's a great time to be in the market looking and at the same time being employed. Very optimistic. And yes, I think that that's another trend. We didn't necessarily talk about it today, but we have in the past where, uh, you know, just turnover, right? Like nobody's really uh, thinking of or going into the job force thinking, this is going to be my career for the next 50 years kind of thing. That mindset itself is changing as well with the generations. Mike, thank you. We're out of time. We'll talk to you next month and have a good thank holidays you. and start to the new year. Happy holidays. Thanks, Kelly and Ramya. Thank you.
Mike French joins us from Robert Half Canada. This is once a month, and usually on the first Wednesday where we check in with them. I get so excited because the information is fantastic as things ever change, folks. Mm -hmm. We step aside. We'll wrap up our program in just a couple of moments, uh, and we'll remind you of our podcast content and how you can find it. And we've got an interesting closing moment, one that even you sports fans out there will be surprised about. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Remember to check out our podcast when you get a chance, folks. You can listen to the show in its complete form. You can listen to the full podcast of the program. That's the whole show. As well as we toss on an audio vanity card there. Jeff Ryman providing that today. So do check that out. To subscribe to the Kelly and Ramya podcast. While you're in there, if you get a moment, maybe give us a rating and review. It's time for our closing moment. I want to talk about umpires giving back to their communities. Now, umpires run you in baseball. They call those balls and strikes, who's mm-hmm. out, who's safe, whatever. We don't think of them as being part of that outreach for Major League Baseball to communities, to getting like involved. Like influencers of the baseball. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we think of players and what charities they give to, how they're involved and what they do out there day right. to day. These guys do one teddy bear at a time out there, and umpires this year from both uh, Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball celebrated surpassing the 20,000 bear milestone. Oh. Okay, now the oh, best thing... they've been thing, doing this for a while. Oh, uh, for quite a while. The best thing about umps care, uh, between all the Minor League and Major League umpires, every single person is involved. Sadia Sagna, one of the umpires, says they're giving their time, they're making donations, they're doing hospital visits, they're doing Build-A-Bear workshops, and learning how to work with other people committed to the same cause. Every season, each of Major League Baseball's uh, baseball umpiring crews has to visit one hospital. Each one has to do it once, at least once. Some do it multiple times throughout the season, and some carry this through the off-season. Now, think about it this way, Ron. For these children, their hospital room door opening is not really the most exciting thing. Usually it's a doctor or a right. nurse checking in on the, the, their medical plan for the day. Sometimes it's to run some ba- battery of tests or to take blood. But when a group of umpires comes to the door, often accompanied by the uh, local MLB team's mascot nice. with a bag full of bears, Yay. it's a welcome treat. After all, they get to spend the next few minutes answering questions far different than the normal ones as to how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. Really wonderful thing when I came across this. This was sent to me. This is such a wonderful thing uh, to hear about and something, again, flying below the radar. So uh, fedora's off to the major league umpires and minor league umpires out there. I do love umps care. That's cute. I do too. That is very cute. Well, and especially since we're always screaming at them, right? And yeah, I was gonna say, what's wrong with you? Like we take out, well, not we, because I don't watch baseball. But anyways, people take out all their frustrations on the umpires, and that's what you and Brock have talked about in the past as well. Just uh, bad vibes toward the umpires. It's that kind of thing. And again, as a as a. As an athlete, as an umpire, you're doing it for the right reason. You don't want it buried under and saying, well, they're just probably told to do that. Mm. Anyway, folks, we've got another show for you, the uh, Thursday edition tomorrow. Mike Fair will highlight the short list of apps and games for this year's Apple Vist Golden Apple Awards. Also, Greg David from our communications department, we want to see how often we can actually get him on the show. So he's coming on the weekly roundtable tomorrow. 
Folks, we'll hang out with you again starting at 2 p.m. Eastern time. We're waving at you from the studio in Toronto. Good night. Hey guys, it's Jeff here, and I feel like I just had a funny moment. Could be slight annoying as well, but as many of you know, I have a dog. His name's Oliver. I also call him Ollie, and he's about two and a half years old. He's a yellow lab, but he's got some features of a chocolate lab. He's got the lighter eyes. He's got a pink nose. He's very cute. Um, but he also does some things that are really funny slash annoying. Like, he doesn't bark at pretty much anything. You can see a dog, his tail will just wag. Um, you know, people who come to the door, for the most part, he won't bark. He might sort of growl uh, a little bit. But he doesn't bark a whole lot. Um, except at inanimate objects. And now that it's Christmas time, a lot of people have Christmas decorations and ornaments, you know, all over their house. A lot of people have inflatable, um, you know, inflatable Santa Clauses or inflatable uh, reindeer or whatever it may be. For some reason, that triggers Ollie. Um, so the other day, I'm just working away in my office, which faces out to the front. We have a window, and he looks out, and somebody has an inflatable Santa Claus. What does he do? He immediately gets defensive and starts barking nonstop for a couple of minutes at this inanimate object, this blow-up Santa. He does it at other things, too. Um, garbage bags, um, salt bags, any sort of bag, really, um, he doesn't typically like. But like I said, humans, dogs squirrels, birds, nothing, not even a peep, but bags or inflatable toys or Santa Clauses, huge issue with it. So yeah, he's fantastic. He's a fantastic dog, but it's a little bit weird sometimes. And I'm sure that he's not the only weird dog out there. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.